culture is how we, you know, how we behave and, and the experience that our behavior produces for each other. You know, if we want to have a good culture, our, my behavior on the court produces good behavior in everybody else. Welcome to the Leading Edge Podcast, your source of insightful and inspirational conversations to help you and your program achieve more. I'm Brian Spielman from LeadingEdge.online with co-host Tyler Whitcomb, former coach, AD, and current Snap Mobile customer evangelist. We're here today with Coach Don Showalter, head coach and director of coach development of the USA Basketball Youth Division. Coach, welcome. I know we're going to get into a lot of great insight into program building and leadership but I'd really just like to start off by asking, when did you first realize that coaching was for you? You know, looking back at your younger self and your path, what was your motivation to start coaching? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a great question because I think everybody's got their own story. And, you know, coaches especially have their own story, I think. Uh, because uh, you can't really, in, in the basketball world, the coaching world, I don't think you can really plan that this is where I'm going and the, and everything falls into place. It just, just doesn't happen that way. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, as a young, as a youngster growing up on a farm in rural Iowa, um, you know, I was very, uh, I love sports. So as a young player, I mean, I just love the game. And then, uh, as I progressed a little bit in my, in my, as most of us do in, in our playing days, why, you know, you got on, you got kind of got on a little, sixth grade team or a seventh grade team or an eighth grade team. And you just had fun with it. I mean, all the coaches I had just made me enjoy the game. I think that's, that's a big lesson for coaches now at a young level. The main purpose there is just to have fun and love the game. Uh, and, and sometimes parents and coaches take the fun out of it. Uh, so I think uh, my message to them all the time is, Hey, play some tag games, use a basketball Whatever it takes to make it fun, you make it fun because that's really what keeps players playing. And then if they have fun at it, then like I did as a young as a young player, I wanted to go out and improve my game. I wanted to go out and shovel snow off the driveway so I could shoot baskets. I wanted to go to the barn and move hay bales around so I could shoot a basket in the barn. So I, I think once the fun comes into it, then it, it certainly alleviates the, the, the aspect of, all right, uh, I don't have to do this. I want to do it because it's fun. So that, that's kind of where I was at as a young kid. I knew I wanted to coach. I knew I wanted to stay in the game some way. I tell, yeah, I tell young coaches that, you know, it's easy to have what I call destination addiction where you're really, you know, you know this, I, I'm going to, I'm going to get to this place or I'm going to get to this place or I'm going to get to this place. And you, what you fail to realize is if you don't do a great job with that sixth grade team, you're coaching, you know what, you're not going to get another chance. So, you know, you're always looking ahead. Hey, I want to be an NBA, whatever, scout, assistant coach. Well, if you don't do a good job at where you're at, you're not going to get to be to that destination. What do you see in the, in those cultures you're observing and programs that's, that's working? Like, you know, what kind of tenants are, are there that you think really uh, drive a successful culture? First of all, I, I think culture is a lot different than chemistry. I think those are two completely different things. You know, you build the chemistry among your team and you build chemistry with individual to individual, but really culture to me, the definition of culture is how you do things. So as a coach, you kind of set the culture. And then I think the chemistry kind of comes uh, after that, how you work things. And, and it's kind of a result of, 
of how you do things. And right or wrong, we all have a different type of culture, but you know, culture can change a little bit because of the kids change. And in high school, you have to kind of build your culture every year. And so I think culture is something how you do things. That's pretty simple. And then chemistry is the working of that culture and, and, and putting the pieces together with it. I love the way you make that differentiation between culture and chemistry, because I do think you fall into this trap, like we're going to do something for the culture. And it's kind of, it's so nebulous where it's how you do everything, but it's also, you can't exactly control it either. You know, yeah, I, I would say you, you really, as a coach, you really have to fight for your culture every day. Because you're working with, in my case, you're working with high school kids. Even when I'm working with the elite kids in, in USA basketball, you know, they're coming from all different types of culture and they're all the best players. So sometimes they have a little bit of, of a false view of what they can do. <laughs> and so, you know, you have to have them understand, no, this is, this is how we do it here. I can imagine the conversations that you have with the kids because you're bringing them in and you're talking about where they fit on the team and their team roles. How do you talk to the players and how do you explain kind of where they fit in and where they can help the team? First of all, I think you you try and build a relationship with them. So when we bring them in for training camp, we meet as a group, we have notebooks they keep. And then off the court, we try and uh, personally, I try and build and we have our coaches too, build a relationship with them, you know, Find out about their families. Find out about what their likes and dislikes are. Because I think the first thing you have to do before you can develop a real true culture, the number one thing you have to do is develop a trust. The trust has to be there between player and coach and player and player. And and once they trust you, I'll give a great example. You know, Scotty Barnes was rookie of the year last year. He played for me in 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 our 2017 World Cup. And I saw him as a ninth grader and he was a spindly kid. I never, ever thought he'd be what he is right now. But, you know, we developed a strong bond of trust with each other. And, and that helped him, I think, uh, listen for one thing and then develop his game because he had a strong trust for me as a coach. And then that developed player to player. So that trust is the number one thing. It's interesting because I don't really tell them that they have to do things. Uh, I learned that as a young coach. I said a lot of times, hey, if you really want to become a better player, here's what I would recommend. And you know what? They all want to become good players. You know, so it's not something like I say, hey, you need to do this and this. It's hey, if you want to become a better player, you know, here's a suggestion for you. And and then that, that helps them to buy into it. You know what? Yeah, I, I do want to become a better player. And you know, Jason Tatum was a great example. You know, I had Jason Tatum coached him for two summers and, and he was just, he was just an outstanding kid, but you know, he wanted to be so good and he just didn't know. I mean, he knew how to get there, but I think he really leaned on, on myself and other coaches to really take that next jump. So I, I think there's some great examples about, you know, hey, uh, trust. And then once that trust comes about, you've really opened up everything for those players. And coaching elite, coaching the elite kids is a little different because they're all the best players from their team. On their teams, they can all shoot the ball whenever they want to. You know, our culture is we have to make sure that they're playing for somebody else. You know, they're playing for their teammates. Mm-hmm. They're playing for USA basketball. They're not playing for themselves. Culture is how we, you know, how we behave and, and the, uh, the experience that our behavior produces for each other. You know, if we want to have a good culture, our, 
my behavior on the court produces good behavior in everybody else. So my point is, all right, wh what are you doing to make your teammates better? You know, and so I'll, I'll put that question out a lot to them. You know, what, what are you doing to make, to make, you know, Scotty Barnes better? Scotty, what are you doing to make Evan Mobley better? And so I think they, they never think of that. And I think, you know, as, 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 as coaches, how, how we, how we view that to them is really important. You know, it makes them think about, yeah, you know what I got, if Jalen Suggs is going to really help us, you know, there's some things I can do to make him better. I'm curious when you're thinking about how is it fun and you're thinking about inviting students and student athletes to be a part of defining that, what role does peer or student leadership play in your programs as you're thinking about those things? Well, we put a lot of emphasis on it's their team. So, I mean, you'll hear me say a lot of times, this is your team. So how do you want your team to be perceived? You know, we'll talk about that. What are you going to do if one of your teammates doesn't buy into what we want done? So we'll have a lot of discussion in a team setting like that. First, it helps communication. And players today, most of the time, they don't know how to communicate, for one thing. But then it teaches them, hey, you know, I can use my voice to communicate things. And so I'll give you a great example. During one of our games, one of our players, Scotty Barnes, got the rebound. And he was pushing it down the court. And, and Jalen Sugg did a great job of running to the corner where he's supposed to. Jalen Green to the other corner where he's supposed to. And they didn't get the ball. Neither one of them got the ball. So Jalen Suggs comes over to me and said, hey, Scotty didn't give me the ball when he was supposed to. I go, you know what? Don't tell me. You tell Scotty. And so, you know, we're encouraging that type of communication. And Jalen Suggs did a great job of telling, hey, Scotty, next time I'm, I'm open over here. And Scotty said, oh, yeah, I didn't see you. I'm sorry about that. So, you know, instead of me telling Scotty, you have your teammates in that role. And I think that sets a much higher level for the leadership and developing leadership than it does if the coach has to tell you everything. And one of my sayings in, in practices all the time to players is, hey, you figure it out. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not, I can't coach you every play. So you're on the floor, you figure it out. You and three other guys figure out how that pick and rolls should be defended, you know. We've been over in practice. Now you guys figured it out. Yeah. So, so where, where does tone play into this invitation tone and trust, I guess this invitation to players to kind of author uh, uh, together, yeah. you, you know, yeah. can you speak to that a little bit? That's a heck of a question because I think I get that even in the private world setting, when you encourage or how do you encourage your the people who work for you to speak up and, and give them some ownership in it? You know, I, I think for a couple things is, the players really have to get to know each other. And so what we do at the end of every practice, we have what we call a communication circle, or we circle, circle the players up in a group, and then they have to answer one question each day to a player who is beside them. And I say, you look them in the eye, you call them by their first name, and then you answer the question. So one of those questions would be, uh, tell the guy beside you what he did really good in practice today. We'd go around the circle, and, and they would do that. That not only establishes some communication, but establishes a role for those players without me telling them what the role is. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a player and I say, hey, Johnny, I thought you did a great job of rebounding today. Johnny goes, hmm, you know, that uh, I must be a good rebounder because that, that's what Jimmy told me. So you're establishing a role right now with those players coming from other players as opposed to the coach. So I think to me, 
that that's probably helped us more than anything we've, we've done before. And, and we'll ask questions like, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite movie? You know, day, day by day. So we change the questions every day. Or what do you think personally you can get better at? And understand, you know, players aren't going to buy in on this right away. You know, they're, they're a little bit nervous. It's out of their comfort zone and all that kind of stuff. So once we get going on this, the best question we ask is tell a player beside you what nobody else would know about you. And that is, that opens up huge trust factor communication because we've had kids say, you know, my dad's in jail. I live with my grandparents. Uh, well, I, I live with my uncle. I don't have a mom. And of course, we say this is this stays with our team. This is the team thing. So I, I think you develop those things by having the players communicate with each other. And there's there's a number of ways to do that, but we just like the circle part to it. So I think that opens up really how they should communicate and then how they think about themselves in relationship to other players as well. So that, that's one thing. I think as you develop with your team, you know, I would do a lot of questions during practice. Not only do I say figure it out, I would stop and say, Johnny, explain to me why you did this on that screen. So now they have to think about it and verbally give me an answer as opposed to Johnny, do it this way. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so there's a kind of a why behind it. Once they figure out the why, I think then they're much more open. And, you know, questions are a great way to teach. I was loving the fact that you asked the players to figure it out just because, you know, in my background of coaching, I've never done that as much as I should. And it just, I love that because we think everything's one way, you know, we're going to do it this way. I'm actually going to steal that. I love it. (laughs) That's awesome. We have our three core categories of leading edge, which are leadership, peak performance, and program building. What do you think in in all your experience working with players and coaches and, and all the success you've had, what are the important components of a great leader to you? Uh, you know, I think leadership is not what you say, it's what you do. You know, if I'm not at practice a half hour, 45 minutes before practice starts, you know, I, I think I'm late to practice. Well, you know, this carries over to the players too. If players there before you are, something's wrong because you have to set that tone. So it can be the littlest things that make the biggest difference in leadership. You know, I, I tell the players all the time, how many today have held the door open for somebody? How many today have given up your seat at lunch for somebody? You know, so they have to understand what leadership is, what servanthood is. And then I think you drill that every day. What have you done today to develop your leadership abilities? So I think leadership just in a nutshell is, is really what you do as opposed to what you say. I love that. That's great. Well, so that, that's a, that was leadership. So then the next category is, is peak performance. And uh, we've been talking a lot about inviting players in, getting them to, to do and diagnose and solve problems on their own. But I guess at more of an individual level, how, how do you help them get the most out of themselves? I think two things that we teach a lot. First of all, skill work. I mean, you have to get better skill-wise. And then we take that skill work and put it in competition. I would say good players love competition. They want to compete. And so you teach them how to compete with the skill level they got. And I would say to me, three on three enhances the skill level they have. If we're running a dribble drive offense and two players on our team can't use their left hand, that dribble drive offense, you might as well chuck it. You might as well chuck any offense. It's not going to be very good because they can't use their left hand. So, you know, the skill part to it are we better spend some time on developing that left hand or weak hand as such 
Then you put it in a competition such as three-on-three, and then you encourage them to develop that skill that they were weak at. And I think that's the two things that really help them raise their play from just being a, you know, you can be awful skilled, but now you got to be accountable for that skill by playing three-on-three competition. And one interesting thing we do uh, is we keep track of wins and losses on every competitive drill we do. I think the competition factor really makes the players develop their skills and then use their skills in a competitive way. Yeah, that's awesome. It's almost like a thinking fast and slow thing. Like you have to drill it and have the deliberate practice, but then you got to really quickly match that with put it in an environment where, you know, it's not easy to perform or, or it's, it's charged, right? Yeah. yeah. I go watch, you know, high school coaches practice. They do one or the other. They may not spend a lot of time on skill work, but they do a lot of three on three, four on four competitive, or they do a heck of a lot of skill work and they don't put it into the competitive mm-hmm. aspect. So they're really missing a component when they just do one of those two things. Yeah. Well, so then uh, last category is program building. What have you seen that sets teams and programs apart from ones that are have a program builder mindset or ones that are maybe just kind of getting by year to year? You know, we, we have a and catch. In fact, Coach K started our gold standards. And one of those gold standards, I think, is really important to be a program builder. I mean, obviously trust and those kind of things. But as a coach, I think the word care has a lot to do with being a program builder. Do you really care about the players? And, you know, if you care about them, they're going to sense that. Success really takes three things. It takes time because you're going to do it overnight. It's hard because you really got to work at it every day. And I think that's what a program builder has to do. And then third is it doesn't happen by yourself. So the success that happens in a program, you know, takes time. It's hard and doesn't happen by yourself. I think if you keep these three things in mind, that's the sustainability of a program. I think coaches every day, and we all have bad days, but I think to me, players don't have bad practices. I think coaches do. There's two things that coaches have to come with every day, in my estimation. You better come with some enthusiasm and some passion. If you have enthusiasm and passion, your practices will be off the charts, I would say, about every day. You know, sometimes you think, oh, no, my players got to bring that. No, you have to start it. That's up to you as a coach to start it. A great saying was, I forget who said it, but two guys that can't have a bad practice, the coach and the point guard, you know, and that's pretty true, you know. So I, I think, boy, you know, the Jay Wrights of the world and uh, Coach K's and those guys and, and uh, well, they, Tom Izzo, uh, I mean, they bring enthusiasm. They bring passion every day. And their players just feed off that. You can just tell the atmosphere is off the charts. And what, what that does, it that sustains, that's a program builder because every day they're getting better because of your enthusiasm, your passion. And the players see that. Yeah. And I think that's really a, a goes to be a program builder. I love that. The other thing you mentioned is the bridge to letting them have ownership on court. Cause I do think I've personally fallen in the trap where I, my default state is enthusiasm. And I'm like, what's the version of me where I just play the background <laughs> and like, keep it real, real quiet and let them do it, you know, but that's not very natural to me because I've been the enthusiasm guy, but then I look down the bench and I'm the only enthusiasm guy. I'm like, well, darn there. I haven't bridged that my enthusiasm helps, but also it needs to translate and they need to do it right <laughs> yeah, you know that happens but i also think then, then i'd say you know then i would tell tell the guys in that case you can't depend on my enthusiasm all the time yep. you know you gotta this is your team yeah so you gotta bring it yeah you know 
what are you bringing to practice today? Yeah, yeah. I think that's something we talk about a lot. I love it. I love it. So I wanted to go back. One thing that does apply to all high school level leaders, program type, agnostic, whether it's sports, theater, et cetera, is parents. And I think you have a, a unique perspective as a coach because you deal with elite players and all coaches and teachers know that parents are part of your, your relationship with your student athlete. Yeah. And so what have you seen works really well as you talk about parent relationships as being a program leader? I mean, obviously, I think this is a key topic for everybody, for coaches and, you know, at all levels and all different sports, because, you know, you want your parents involved. I think the, the old adage of I'm not going to speak to parents and don't, don't talk to me as a coach, that's old school. And, you, and I don't think you can do that. So first of all, I tell coaches, understand that when you talk to a parent, you're not talking about the same person, because as a coach. I'm talking to them about a player on my team that's playing with 15 other guys or 14 other guys or whatever. As a parent, I'm talking to you about my son or daughter, and that's it. So you're not even talking about the same person. So that really helped me as a coach kind of figure out that, you know, what what they're saying is not about the player that I'm coaching. It's about their son or daughter. Mm -hmm. You know, we have parent meetings and after games, believe it or not, we'd have some parent socials after games. And I think that that was a big help. At City High, uh, when I first took the job, I made home visit with every parent on our, on our team, which was huge. I felt it really important. I had to make a house visit and explain our program, where I was coming from. And that probably did more good than anything I could have ever done to help me bridge the gap between parents. I mean, that, that allowed them to know me. And so I think coaches... When you don't allow parents to get to know you a little bit, I think you're you're only setting the bar, uh, you know, out of con- where the parent can get out of control because they don't know you. So I think it it's behooves you to, you know, to say, hey, you understand where they're coming from. Another thing I did that helped me a, a ton was I would send an email after a practice to a parent on our team and just tell them, hey, Johnny did a great job today in practice. He made our team better. He may not play a lot in the game, but he's a very important part of our team. So now you have the fact that hey, parent, at least they know he recognizes that my son or daughter can help the team out. And then, you know, at your parent meetings, we emphasize that your daughter's or son's performance should not be a level of your happiness. You know, you should not feel really down and sad if your son or daughter performs badly. No, they're just playing a game. So you know, help them from the standpoint of if they want to talk fine. If they don't want to talk, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. So the best thing you can say is as a parent, Hey, I enjoyed watching you play regardless. That, that's so huge. And I can just tell again, you have your system so aligned thinking across all activity types and really just leadership of programs uh, for young people. Let's picture the, the theater director or the ceramics or the robotics coach. Who's like, I don't know the first thing about basketball, but I know that you're a wealth of knowledge in terms of how to be a leader of a program. What do you think is that short list of things that just apply across the board? I, I think there's five things that go in to be a really good leader or in our case coach or manager. First of all, you gotta be a good teacher. You know, no matter what job you have, you're a teacher. And being a teacher involves a lot of different things, but in the basketball world, it's building habits. In the performing arts world, it's building habits. Working for a company, it's building habits. So as a teacher, you have to model that, and then you have to make sure that I'm going about the right way. 
Second thing I think is be organized. It's huge. No matter what aspect you're in, don't just come and assume it's going to happen. Organization involves, from a CEO standpoint, you better be organizing your thoughts before you go into that meeting with your clientele. You know, you better be organized with your thoughts when you talk to that parent. You better be organized when you teach a skill about how you're going to teach a skill. You better be organized with how you're going to teach this piece of the play that you're in. So organization is more than just, you know, I have it down here, what I'm going to do. It's how you do things. It's not so much what you do, it's how you do it. Third, I think, be humble. Jeff Van Gundy said it best. There are two types of people in this world, those that are humble and those that will be humbled. No matter what business you're in, you're going to be humbled at times. Yeah, so... You better, you better have that aspect. Uh, four is being adaptable. Got to be adaptable. You know, there's always things that are going to happen that you're going to have to adapt to. No matter what industry you're in or what you coach or what you do, you better be adaptable. And again, adaptable comes kind of back to being organized because you got to be ready for those things where you're adaptable. And the last thing I think to me is you got to be authentic. You know, you got to be who you are. You know, I can't be Coach K. I can't be Bobby Knight. I can't be a Tom Izzo. I, this is who I am. And I think, you know, you, you tell your people what you see is what you get. They don't want to see somebody different than who you are. And what that does, it builds a lot of trust because you're authentic. So being authentic is something I think probably we overlook a lot, but, but that's who we got to be. So those are kind of the five things uh, that, I, that I want to share with that. That's perfect. That's perfect. And, and that's, I mean, that's wrap, man. Uh, your clarity of thought and, and alignment is so inspirational for me to just see it and be able to hear it and, and be up close uh, to, to your thought process and everything like this is uh, it's just, it's super exciting. And, and I hope that we can uh, do that justice. And I know that we will, as we, as we share it back. So I appreciate you taking the time. I will say I wasn't always like this. I mean, you know, it take, <laughs> takes time. Success. What takes time Yeah, yeah. Know, it's hard and, and it you know, doesn't on, happen alone. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, so I think over the years, you kind of sift through what, what your strengths are and how those strengths can influence other people too. So yeah, I, I do want to say there's a book coming out about my story. Uh, in next to me, I think after the first year, it's at the, it's at the printer now, hardback. Uh, Pete Van Mulen, he just came to one of our clinics and said, you know what? I, I'd love to do a book about your story. It's called Cornfields to Gold Medals. Oh, I love um, it. Nice. Nice. So a lot of this, a lot of this stuff is in it, uh, kind of my path and, you know, how I grew up with basketball. And, and so from my standpoint, I think it's really a fun, a fun book. I do think it's going to be, have some, a lot of aspects in it that are going to help coaches with the leadership standpoint, things like that. In it. So I'll definitely be buying it. Great. That's that's awesome. Coach Show, it has been a sincere honor having you on the podcast today. We really appreciate your time and everything you're doing with USA Basketball. For listeners wanting to keep up with you and what you're up to, what is the best way for people to stay in touch? I have a Twitter account that I have a large following on. You know, if anybody wants to contact me personally, that's great. They can contact me through Twitter. Twitter is d- at dshow23. Or my email is very simple, dshowwalter at usabasketball.com. That's it for another episode of the Leading Edge podcast. Till next time, head over to leadingedge.online where you'll find more content and conversations to help you build a more successful program. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay sharp.